0: Turn this on here real quick. Turn on my timer. There we go. Well, good morning, family. How's everyone doing today? Man, this has been a very exciting service so far. And uh, I want to start by just telling you guys a, a story that happened yesterday that was that was kind of funny, and it's going to tie us into the lesson. So we had this church uh, history training course over these last two days it was saturday and friday that several of us myself nathan ashley we went to and during one of the breaks it was about an eight hour nine hour long course it was eight to five and so saturday you know we get these 10 minute breaks kind of in between and nathan and i are sitting there and i'm getting you know espn push notifications on my phone throughout the day at different things and and one said hey you you know, oh, this guy dunks on the Greek freak. I'm like, what? So I click on it. If you don't know anything about basketball, the Milwaukee Bucks, which are a basketball team, have a player named Giannis Antetokounmpo. He is called the Greek freak. Uh, and he is this guy kind of in the prototype of LeBron James. Strong, lanky, has an incredible shot, is fast, is ridiculously athletic. I mean, he puts up points on people on the regular that are just ridiculous. He's like a video game character in real life. And there was a play, apparently, that got caught on ESPN of this European player who plays for the Knicks. I don't even know if he's a starter. Uh, His name is Hazonja. And he had gotten a steal, and he's running down the court with the ball as fast as he can with this other player from the other team, right, the Milwaukee Bucks kind of running next to him, trying to defend him. And he kind of looks behind him, and here comes the Greek freak, chasing him down the court. And so his eyes get all big, and so he goes, and he jumps up, and with two hands goes to dunk it as hard as he can, right? And the Greek freak jumps up there with him, and he's all over him, like to block it. And you think from this highlight, oh, he's just going to swat the ball and send him flying. The opposite happens. Hazanja dunks it with such force that Giannis Adetokounmpo falls on his back on the court, and his Andrew just kind of looks down on him and does one of the most disrespectful things in all of basketball. He does the Allen Iverson and steps over him. And then just walks, up, and he walks away with his arms out like this, and all his teammates, there's a photo on the Internet of all these guys behind him that are, you know, courtside, and they're all doing this. They're, like, all pointing <laughs> at the Greek freak as he lays on the ground looking up at this. You know, and so Nathan and I are watching it, and there's a moment when just oh, everyone, you know, is going crazy. And it was just, it was a great moment. <laughs> and... And why is that important? Well, because I think as a people, we love to see powerful moments, whether that's people getting dunked on, boxers getting knocked out, right? There's always a unanimous, when something, or a big tackle in any sport, when something really powerful happens, you can trust that there's going to be a collective, ooh, like that just sweeps through the room because we are impressed, we are enamored with strength and with power. Right As a people, we need power in our lives. And this is a quality that's been put in us by God. However, the question of how do we engage and interact with power is as old a question as there is. Right, We have quotes by famous Supreme Court judges like, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So how do we engage with this? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The title of my lesson is Perfect Power. We're going to be talking about God's power and how we should be approaching, and what should our attitude be regarding power? This is an oil tanker, uh, I believe, in the Atlantic as it approaches the edge of a hurricane, which they should be turning the other direction if they're smart, but for some reason they're just driving right at it. Uh, Overwhelming power. You know, it's fun to think of things that are powerful, and often when we do, fun things come to mind. We think of things like, oh, this is my first point, overwhelming power. Yeah. We think of things like spending power. I looked online. This is the Chase Sapphire Preferred Credit Card. One of the most exclusive credit cards in the world. It's a credit line of $100,000. And this family, apparently this husband and wife each have one. That's so $200,000 right there that you can just whew, swipe and spend, right? We think about physical power. This is Scott Vance at Carousel Ranch last year. It was very sunny. He was a little more tan at that time. No, this, is, this is Dwayne the Rock Johnson, right? Who's known for... His powerful physique, he was chosen to play Hercules in the movies because of it. We think of physical power, the ability to do incredible things with your body. We think of technological power, right? Tanks, bombs, rockets, cars that go fast, things that are just inherently powerful. And these are all things that typically we want, right? Things don't come out new that are weaker than they were before. Like, the next iPhone, they're not going to advertise, wow, it's half as strong as our last model. It's like, what? Like, you don't want a car. It gets half the gas mileage of the 2017s. No, everything gets progressively stronger. We are drawn to strength. Even, even things that are weak get advertised when it's on sale like, well, this is a strong deal. You're like, you're just saying that. You're just saying that to make me want it, and it's working because I want it. Right In a perfect world, power is a means to an end. You see, God did not put in us a desire for power, but an incredible awe of power. The feeling of being on that boat looking out at the hurricane, or seeing a tornado in the distance, or standing on the beach as 20-foot breakers roll in. There's something about it that universally hits something deep in us. That understands. And just stands in awe. Wow this is is power. This is strength. The reality is though. Is that one of Satan's biggest lies. Is that power can belong to us. And that our power. Can be enough. Without God. That we can build our identity. And our lives on our own strength. Our own ability. And our own skills. Whether it's. A lucrative job or having a lot of money. Maybe your athletic ability or your incredible talent, musically or otherwise. A stellar reputation, an enviable relationship. These are all the places that the world tells us to turn for our strength. And so Satan sets us up for a fall that can rock us to the very core of who we are and what we've built our lives on. In Jeremiah 17, verse 5, this is what the Lord says Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Because the reality is, is that our power is not enough for this life. It never has been and it never will be. Any job can be taken away. Any athletic career can be ended in a moment. Relationships, no matter how strong, can crumble. Loved ones can become sick. We are always one step away from losing everything. You know, LeBron James is one of the most influential, arguably one of the most powerful athletes of our time. And yet, Literally one wrong turn, one torn ACL, could bring down his entire career. And we see it all the time. If you watch or follow any professional sport, they call them now in the NFL, especially non-contact injuries. You'll see a, a wide receiver. He'll catch the ball, plant his foot, and turn. And he's turning with so much strength that he'll literally tear the ligaments in his knee. And his season is over. All your hope, all your hard work, all your off-season, all of your identity, gone. And too often we see this and its unfortunate side effects. Athletes who once retired or if they're forced to retire via injury, sink into an incredible depression. People who've lost jobs, the suicide rate going up. In all of these circumstances, why? Because everything that they've built their life on, everything that they've built themselves on, can be lost in an instant. And very few things point out how powerless we can really feel like children can. You know, when Emily, my daughter, was born, they, I looked up all kinds of stats. You know, you're, you're a young parent, you're about to be a young parent. And you're reading all these things online, which they tell you later, don't do that. That's a bad idea. Do not go online and read books and search things out. Talk to your doctor. You're fine. And so I'm looking at all these things. And, and, you know, one of the things the doctor told us or one of the things I read online, I can't even remember, was that babies cry anywhere from two to four hours a day on average for no reason. Like, what? That's not – come on. That's not real. I know plenty of babies. That's fine. Emily was on the high end of that spectrum, maybe six hours a day, where I remember vividly there would be moments when Olivia and I, in the first two months, which were some of the most challenging months, really, of our life, we're sitting on the floor, Emily's crying, we're crying, we've been up for like 20 hours, we're losing our minds. I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, I'm holding her, and I'm looking at her, and I, I am a grown man. I am like 170 pounds heavier than you are. I am strong. Why am I losing my mind? You know, I'm just like, you're losing it. Okay, I've, I've changed you. i fed you. You're tired. Just stop. Go to sleep. Like, why is this happening? You know, you feel powerless for hours. <laughs> like, This literally nothing. This is completely out of my hands. If she does not decide to go to sleep, There's nothing I can do to make this work. And as funny as that is, that's life. You can be doing all the right things at any given time and yet feel completely powerless to help or affect what's happening in your life. And all of us have at least one situation like that in our lives right now. Something that you feel completely overwhelmed by. Maybe completely hopeless to change, something where you know and fully understand, maybe too well, how powerless you are to overcome it. And this is where God comes in. In Exodus chapter nine and verse fifteen, right God is using Moses to talk to Pharaoh, and he goes, "For by now, Pharaoh, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague. That would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose. That I might show you my power. And that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. You see, God longs to show us his power. Because in all of the ways that we find ourselves absolutely powerless, God is brimming with overwhelming power, with the full strength to do and accomplish everything. And he longs to show it to us. Why? Because when you stand in the power of God, and when you fully understand how powerful, which you can't, but when you have the smallest inkling of it, there's something about it that's inspiring. There's something about it that resets where our hearts and our minds Can get stuck. That puts everything back into perspective when we're feeling suffocated and powerless. In Deuteronomy 8, in verse 17, you know, God warns his people you may say to yourself one day, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord, your God and follow other gods and worship and bow to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Right. God knew he knew that at some point. We would very easily be tempted to just forget him and to look and to say, like, Wow, I've done so good with my life, with my strength and with my intelligence. I've done all of these things. And we would forget that it's God who's put us in those positions, who's given us those opportunities, who through his power has gotten us exactly where we are today, sitting here in this room. We need to remember God's power because it is the only thing that gives us what we need for success but also gives us what we need for failure, to get through, to overcome. And it's the only thing that can never be taken away. And you wonder, well, how powerful are we talking, right? We, God's power is inspiring. Let's get a little inspired here. Because all of this power isn't inspiring unless it's perfectly used. Turn with me to First Kings chapter 19. You know, I've heard that in the past there have been lessons that have been given with examples of chemistry and such things that are very inspiring to some and and can be a little less inspiring to others. We're going to get into a little bit of science here. I appreciate chemistry a lot, but we're not going to be talking about chemistry. We're going to be talking a little bit today about sound. You're like, sound? Yeah, we're going to talk about sound. A little, little audio engineering, if you will, because I... I had a brother come up to me, and he was telling me this story. And so I went back, and I started doing all this homework, and I was just really blown away. This is a really cool example of God's power, right? So sound is vibrating molecules traveling in waves, right? My voice is creating sound waves that are traveling through the air by vibrating molecules. And the way that they scale sound – this is going to be the sciencey part – the way they scale sound is by decibels, right? You've probably heard of that. Oh, decibels, yeah, it's the measurement of sound decibels is logarithmic math right now just just bear with me for a second it's going to get really cool really fast so decibels are scaled logarithmically which means for every 10 decibels you go up by a power of 10 okay so if something is 50 decibels to go up to 60 decibels means it's 10 times louder than 50 decibels does that make sense? 10 t- every every time you go up by 10, that's 10 times as loud. Okay? You guys with me? So, a standard conversation is 65 decibels. Like when you're just when the fellowship is buzzing and everyone's talking, your voice, a normal conversation is about 65 decibels. If you're sitting or standing front row at a concert, that's about 100, anywhere from 120 to 150 decibels. Right. And you notice that you start getting into a range where prolonged exposure, that's where you hear that ringing all night for the rest of the night. <makes noise> you're like, what? Because you've been prolonged exposure right, to this greater degree of decibels. And if you think about if a conversation is 65 and a concert is 150, that's a, that's a big jump, right? That's, that's a, quite a big jump there. And so one of the loudest sounds that's man-made, that we've produced, is from the takeoff of the Saturn V rocket, which was the picture of the rocket right next to Scott Vance earlier. (laughs) So the Saturn V rocket, if you're standing on the launch pad, is 220 decibels. 220 decibels, again, factors of 10, is loud enough to melt concrete from the sound. Grass within a mile radius will just ignite into flame from the sound of it. That's how, because once you get past a certain threshold now, these sound waves are vibrating so hard, so fast that they start to become physical force, like beyond just a vibration in your ear. That's what's called a shockwave, right? When a bomb explodes and the shock wave goes off, that's not like the four. That's the sound, the sound wave of this, right? And so if you're standing 100 meters away from a Saturn V, 100 meters, so that's longer than a football field is 100 yards, meters, convert that out. It's, it's a further, a little further. That was a really fancy way of saying it's further than a football field, but without being. And so I want to read. I want to read this to you guys. This is an excerpt here kind of talking about that. I'm just going to go through it really quickly. So if you're standing 500 meters away, let's say you're experiencing 155 decibels, you would experience painful, violent shaking in your entire body. You would feel compressed as though deep underwater. Your vision would blur. Breathing would become very difficult. Your eardrums are obviously a lost cause, even with advanced active noise-canceling protection. You can experience permanent damage. This is the sort of sound-level aircraft mechanics sometimes experience for short periods of time. It's almost twice as loud as putting your ear up to the exhaust of a Formula One car. It's so loud, the air temperature would drop significantly, 10 to 25 degrees Fahrenheit, because suddenly it becoming suddenly cold because the air is being so violently stretched and moved. And even at three miles away, the sound is loud enough to cause permanent damage. Right? So that's 500 meters, 155. 100 meters, it's 170 decibels. 170 decibels. What's that like? Well, you'd be unable to breathe or likely see from the sound pressure. Glass would shatter. Fog would be generated as the water in the air dropped out of suspension Houses at this distance have a roughly 50% chance of being torn apart from the sound pressure alone. It's the equivalent of taking a military stun grenade and blowing it up against your face. This is 100 meters away from a Saturn V rocket. Okay, This is not the loudest measured sound ever. The loudest measured sound ever was... The eruption of the volcano Krakatoa in 1883. The volcano Krakatoa at 1883 produced that same sound, 170 decibels, at a hundred mile distance. They measure. They measure that at its epicenter. When you were standing there and it exploded, you would probably experienced something along the lines of 310 decibels, which is roughly 10 billion times as powerful as the Saturn V rocket. And I love that we think of rockets like, wow, that's so powerful. We've made that. And yet God knew exactly when Krakatoa was going to blow up. And he's like, yeah, uh I got you. I got you're going to want to back up for this one. And so I have actually this is a video I want to show you guys to give you a small example like a really small example this is an eruption in Papua New Guinea that this guy on this boat he was on a tour he just he had his camera in the right place at the right time and he captured this volcano erupting now if you watch closely above the eruption you can actually see the pressure wave traveling through the clouds so just a heads up there I want to turn it down a little bit. Watch out for the shock, it's coming. Commentary just really makes the video right. So, Krakatoa would have been roughly 10 billion times as powerful as that. And that guy heard the explosion from a distance of about four miles away. So, he would have been dead had that been Krakatoa. Like, the sound wave would literally kill you. You talk about power, right? Overwhelming power. That's what God has at his disposal. And yet, At the same time, God uses power perfectly. In 1 Kings chapter 19 verse 8. This is a story of Elijah. As he had just finished this incredible victory at Mount Carmel. Where he had slain all these false prophets. Had completely preached the word of God. It was an incredible victory. And yet. In one moment, in one conversation with this queen, Jezebel, all was lost. In his mind, he was completely powerless to overcome this situation. So he flees to the mountain of God. And we pick up in verse 8, and it says, So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also, anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel, and anoint Elisha. Son of Shaphat from abel Mahola to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now I love this story. You have one of the most powerful men in the Old Testament feeling his most powerless. And he runs to the mountain of God. He had the good sense, okay, there's no use in me hiding. I need to go talk to God. And God, with all of his overwhelming power, right, sends wind, I don't never, wind that shatters rocks. I mean, hurricane force winds shatter the rocks. An earthquake shatters the mountain. We think of Alaska, the 7.0 that just happened. Fire spontaneously just rips through the mountain. And yet when it's all said and done, God comes to Elijah in a whisper. And comes out and says, what are you doing here? What's going on? Let's talk.